if seeing me there just now was something that really messed you up or you just felt like something really deep in it, I want you to just stand for a second. Just felt like God saying, if you're standing, he's calling you to an act of obedience and he's calling you to lay something down in order to take something up. It's like sometimes God speaks and we think, is it really you? Am I really gonna lay this thing down? How can I be sure? But we can live in that sort of gray area for way too long. And sometimes God just draws a line in the sand. He says, it ha it's now. It's now. Lord, I, I just pray for everyone standing, God. I just pray that, Lord, I just pray for courage. Lord, I pray for courage. Lord, when we're standing on the edge of deciding, are we gonna trust you? It can feel like the hardest thing in the world. But Lord, when we take that jump, we realize what we were holding on to, we were never really holding at all. God, we just surrender in this moment, we just surrender those things. Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you. Lord, all the things that we can have, all of our ducks in a row, all of our plans, all of the things, Lord, but it's all about you. It's all about what you're doing. Lord, let us be people who yield to you. Lord, we don't want to sit on a fence. We don't want to jump from one side of the line in the sand to the other. We just, Lord, we want to say what's done is done. What's in the past is in the past. So this crazy um, thing happened at our house. We, um, you can sit. Thank you for standing with me. Is this, we had this, um, put these little potted flowers in the front of our house and yesterday, or a couple weeks ago, Within like a day or two when we had put them out, birds came, uh, like sm small birds, and, and built this tiny little nest inside of, the, of one of them. And so it kind of became part of our daily routine. We were really excited to, you know, see how things are doing. And the nest was built quickly, and this bird came and laid an egg, and the next day another egg, and another egg. And after about five days, there was five eggs. 
and so we would come out and the birds started getting comfortable with us and and um, and would no longer fly from the nest and um, and so we're sort of counting down you know like kids would be like oh let's go look at the mama bird let's go see the eggs let's go see these things and then and then yesterday um, I popped out to pick something up in the morning and when I came home I looked and the um, the nest was gone. It had been rummaged and the eggs had been stolen and, um, and it was gone. And I, I just had this picture. It was like, we often forget. It's like the Bible tells us that Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. You know, and, and Paul read the scripture this morning about um, um, what good father, if, you're, if your child asked you for a serpent, would you give, or for a fish, would you give him a serpent, you know, bread, stone? How much more your heavenly father will give good gifts or give the Holy Spirit to those you ask? I was thinking, we can often get caught up trying to get all the fish, all the bread, all the things, and close our hands on those things as if they're ours. And sometimes God takes certain things out of our lives or calls us to let go of certain things in our lives, and we can pretend like it's the enemy coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But actually what's happening is God is coming to give life. It's the funniest thing watching our youngest daughter. She will collect stuff in her arms like this. She doesn't want anyone to touch it. She's trying to get more, and every time she gets something, something else falls in this, and she gets frustrated. And I say, Mika, you can't, you can't even enjoy any one of them because you're holding so many of them. Sometimes we have so many good things in our lives that we're not able to say yes to God. Or we say yes, but we can't really enjoy what he's called us to because we try and fit it in with everything else that we have going on. I just want to read something. Ezekiel 47 is the river that flows from the temple. It's a picture God gave to Ezekiel in a, in a vision. And he, you know, it's a story that we all know. I was, I was ankle deep, I was knee deep, I was waist deep, I was in water I, that no man could cross. And in the vision, the man asks Ezekiel, son of man, do you see this? Says, then he led me back to the bank of the, bank of the river. <laughs> when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, 
where it enters the sea, when it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen, uh, sorry, fish, fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor, their, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. <laughs> Amazing, it says. The swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. <laughs> I just have a sense that God is calling us to pour out our lives. We know no, there's no outspout on swamps and marshes, right? Rivers flow in, flow out. This morning, I just want to leave us with a couple of thoughts. And it's simple, but it's quench or kindle. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. When Ken was here, Ken Grenfell, he said, I can see you guys have been through a desert, but I can see that there's times of refreshing coming. The picture I have is, we've heard it here before, is like the word groundswell. You know, I tried to find like information on what is a groundswell, and I had the hardest time. What is a groundswell? The only thing I could find, apart from a few broken up definitions, was like this video of the effects of a groundswell. And from my understanding is a groundswell is, is like, in a sense, could be like a swelling of water, like from the ocean, for example, which you don't necessarily know what's happened, but you know that something has happened. It happened far away. It could have been a, uh, an earthquake. It could have been some sort of eruption, something like this. But you can feel its effects. And I think we're all sitting here now and we have a sense for a lot of us that God is moving in our midst. And I don't mean generically. If you feel like God is speaking to you in a unique fashion in the last sort of little while, raise your hand for a second. 
and look around. Amazing, right? We're not alone. God is doing something in our hearts, and we have to be willing to perceive it. We have to be willing to see it. just felt for us that, you know, when God is speaking through Zechariah, he says this, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Sometimes we get so stuck in our heads and, you know, like, oh man, like, yeah, no, God is doing something, but it doesn't look like what I experienced back in the, you know? Or God's doing something new but it's not going to be as good as what he did in the glory days. But I was just thinking, you know, we should never be afraid of small beginnings, ever. You know, Jesus was a small beginning. <laughs> he came as a seed. Eh? He didn't come like a raging, wild, loud, king-conquering king on a stallion. He'll do that one day but he came as a seed into the frailty of humanity. But this is a long game. I was thinking this is a long game. How many were here last week and had a sense that God was really doing something? But you know, I do believe that God is doing a deep work, not a loud work. And sometimes we can run from the pinnacles, like what happened last week? Is it going to be crazier this week? And is it going to be even crazier? But I believe what God is doing is he's, he is bringing into completion something that he has began. And it's a journey. And it's our lives. And there's going to be pinnacles. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be all sorts of things. But what he wants to remind us of is that this is a lifelong journey of surrender. This is a lifelong journey of discovering who he is and what he has called us to. The other thing that pops up in Zechariah is that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. What's happening? You know, sometimes when God does something in our lives, like what started to begin last week, we start to think, okay, let me draw a formula from that. Let me... Okay, what do we do? Okay, let's adjust how we're doing this and let's tweak this and let's all these things. But all he's, all he's asking of us is to open our hands on our plans. It's like if you're married, imagine living your married life saying, well, we made a covenant. On that day, we made vows. That's it. It's never in jeopardy. It's never, there's no issues. There's no, none of these things. It's all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's good because we made the vows. We said the things, we did the things. It's all in the past, right? But then you got to work it out in reality. When you said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll love you with my whole heart. I'll do all these things. But then you get the tough days, then you get the tough moments, then you get other things that come into your life that you have to, all of a sudden you have to discover that in reality. 
And I think so much of what God is doing in our midst is that we are learning how to live in reality, what has maybe been theoretical or conceptual. And it's in that journey that we actually discover um, what we've been called to do. Had a conversation with one of my brothers recently about, um, you know, he's kind of at a crossroads with his job and, and figuring all these things out. And I was saying, bro, don't worry about it. You will figure it out. Like, you're going you're gonna to learn this. You're going to discover this. You're going to try this. And you're going to figure it out. And for him, it's like, I know, I know, I know. And we all know all these things. But then you got to live it out. And I was thinking about the story of, of um, Joshua and Moses, right? Moses leads the people out of... Moses has a crazy experience where he, he kind of rediscovers his, his roots, um, that he's not really an Egyptian, all those things. You know, he comes to the aid of an Israelite. He runs for his life. He's hiding in the desert, and God finds him in the desert. Gets his attention by a burning bush. And then sends him back and does crazy, crazy miracles through him that the Israelites can all see. And then he delivers them out of Egypt that the Israelites can all see. Speaks through him, pillar of cloud, fire. Crazy stuff, right? And the Bible says that, that, that um, Moses had a tent of meeting and he would set the tent of meeting up and when he would go to the tent of meeting to meet with God, the people of Israel would all go and stand outside their tents and watch. Why? Because I'm sure it would be quite a sight to behold. Like Moses is going to speak to God and they would see this cloud come down and rest on this tent. And Joshua would be with him. And Joshua would be sitting in the same cloud that Moses was sitting in. You know, and then Moses would, would speak to God and God would speak to Moses and Moses would leave. And the Bible says that Joshua would stay. He would stay in that presence. But then there was a time that came when Moses was no longer fit to lead. And what had to happen was, is that Moses had to pass the baton onto Joshua as per God's command. The picture I have is that a lot of us have been Joshua's riding on the coattails of the Moses. We're familiar with the presence of God. We've, we've dwelt in the presence of God. We've seen the presence of God, the power of God at work. but it's been under the leadership of another. And what I believe is happening is God is calling each and every one of us to step out from behind the safety of another.
if that makes sense. Who here has lived through something, uh, a move of God at some level, something that you've seen profound, whether it was in a youth group when you were young, something, you know, all these kinds of things. A lot of us, most of us. I'm willing to wager that when you experience those things, it was led by another. It may have been led, you may have experienced what God was doing because someone else surrendered. But what I feel God is saying is that no more immaturity in my kingdom, no more hiding behind another. My presence is for you. My power is for you. My commission is for you. And if you are willing to step off the coattails of another, I will show you great and unsearchable riches, great and unsearchable truths that you dare not imagine or dream. I believe God is calling each and every one of us to step out in faith. Isaiah 43, we know it well. Isaiah is, is sort of prophetically encouraging his people. He's, he's pointing to a specific condition they are in and saying, I'm going to, you know, God is going to bring hope. He's going to help you, all these things. But then he points forward to Jesus, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the, in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me. The jackals and owls too for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Just keep thinking about this. Don't quench the spirit. Really simple, really simple. I want to read a story. <clears throat> And then I think we can just maybe spend some time in worship or something. But there's so many reasons. You can write a million reasons or you can narrow them down into, into categories about ways that we can quench the Spirit. But I, I want to encourage us this morning. The reason we talk about ways we can quench the Spirit is because it helps us see ways that we can cultivate the Spirit of God in our lives. But I was thinking, based on the story in John 9 that we're going to read, Reasoning and logic, fear, control, religion, unbelief. So many, so many things. I mean, you can think about the ceilings of yesterday, all the things that can quench what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in our hearts. But I want to encourage you, turn with me to John 9. We just read a story. says this, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is still day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. 
This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had, for, had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. So they brought him to the Pharisees. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said this, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. And the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And ultimately, they threw him out. Such an amazing story. Such an easy story that we know. But you can see in this story, reasoning, logic, fear, control, religion, unbelief, take what God is doing
Do you want to share? You want to share? Come on. There's a mic here. Thank you. Oh, I'm going to hold this. Sure. Thank you, Wes. Um, just wanted to affirm with you that uh, the Spirit is not in a hurry, that um, it's not a, a loud work, it's a long work. This morning, I got a, uh, I, I make a, have a Christian meme page, make dumb jokes on the internet, and um, I got this text this morning from this girl I talked to two years ago. She says, I'm not sure if you remember me at all, but I'm a girl you talked to a few years ago, and I was struggling with letting my homosexuality go. I just texted to tell you that I've let it go, and it's been two whole years. I really just wanted to thank you for the advice you've given me and for really giving me a hand when I needed it most. And I look back at the conversation and did not condemn her. I, I loved her and I showed her, I asked her questions, just, just, just loved her and, and prayed for her. And um, it, this verse, Philippians 1.6, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We think that change is immediate, but there's so many, so many times where it takes years and years and years for, for God to work in somebody's heart. And there's a, a great worship song called Not in a Hurry by Will Reagan, and, and it talks about how like Jesus is not in a hurry, the, the spirit is not in a hurry. There's a, it's, yeah, like you were saying, Wes, like it's not a, a, a loud work, it's a long work. Mm. He's in it for the long haul, and I just want to thank you for sharing about that. And, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. 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 I don't wanna I don't wanna drag anything out. It's ten fifty-five. I I um I felt like really the one thing that God wanted to address was fear. Um I think that was like the big thing. Because um, fear leads to things like control. I don't know if you're a control freak, but I've got a, I've got a um, really nice lawn. <laughs> because I'm a control freak. <laughs> but Sometimes you can forget the whole point of why you have a lawn, right? So I can get out there and really clean off that concrete, cut that grass, definitely collect the clippings, right? And then my kids can go running out there and draw with chalk on the concrete and leave toys on the lawn that just press the grass down and shoes and socks and right but it's like this picture that has circled in our circle for a long time it's you go to the botanical gardens and you see immaculate gardens not one thing is out of place and you think how beautiful and, and what an amazing creation man has made here, in a sense. 
But then you go for a walk around Westwood and you see trees falling over in the woods and you, you see these dead end trees hanging out of the, of the lake, you know? And then you turn over a log and you think, what the heck? There's a whole ant colony in there. What do you realize? The Bible tells us that everything in God finds its place without crowding. You turn that log over, you think, oh, this log's dead. What happens? You realize, no, something that was dead has found new life. The ant colony, all these kinds of things. And the tendency for us to put everything in a box, check everything off, is like one of the biggest ways, I think, for North Americans to stifle the work of the Spirit. And I believe it comes from control, and I believe the control comes from fear. The Bible tells us that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And I believe that's what God wants to address in us. Close with, with this. this is David and Goliath's story. We all know it well. David comes from, from the sheep. He's coming to bring food to his brothers who are on the front lines. And when he gets there, he sees a giant intimidating the Israelites. And the story is that the Israelites are all saying, who is this giant who is defying Israel? And when the giant comes out and yells and taunts, they all go running in fear and hiding. We think, well, David was different. He wasn't afraid. I think what David said is different. He says, who is this giant that is defying the armies of the Lord of hosts? He wasn't seeing a different giant. He was seeing a different army. And so much of how we respond in life is based on what we see. I just feel like God wants to address fear, control, all the things that appeal to us in our cultural norm. I don't wanna, I don't wanna go beyond what I think, is that okay? Can I pray? <clears throat> Just think about it. if my people, it's two chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Jesus, we just come before you. Lord, you can take the things that we know, the things that we've heard, knowledge that's maybe puffed us up. We can take all these things, God, and yet we can hear them again 
and they could just carry the wind of your spirit and they can just bring new life. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would breathe upon your people this morning. Lord, anyone that stood up, Lord, where the picture resonated, Lord, the things that we have to lay aside, Lord, it's not an act of works, it's an act of obedience, and it's simply a response to you. It's a response to your calling. It's not us initiating our efforts. It's a response to your grace. Your Bible, your word says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust. Grace is our teacher. And this morning, Holy Spirit, won't you be our teacher? Lord, where, where we have worshipped the wrong things, Lord, where we have lived in fear because we have thought that the things that were going to bring us security, hope, trust, faith, whatever it is, actually produce fear fear of the unknown, fear of being out of control, fear of embarrassment. Lord, we just lay those things at your feet.